Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today my guest is Malcolm Jamal Warner, who's probably best known for playing Theo Huxtable on The Cosby Show. His performance led to an Emmy Award nomination when he was just 16 years old. Malcolm is also a poet, a musician, a Grammy Award winner, and currently stars on the Fox show The Resident. This interview was recorded at the end of May, just ahead of the season four finale of The Resident. Um, Malcolm, I'm just so thrilled to to talk with you because uh, (laughs) I I feel like this show is kind of designed for someone like you who's just had such an amazing long career as an actor, director, uh, uh, poet, spoken word artist, musician, and you've been nominated for an Emmy, you've won a Grammy, and we're going to talk about all those things. But first, I want to talk about an Instagram post. Okay. In the post, there's a picture of you making chocolate strawberry cake with um, with your daughter, and you explain how you became a father and started a family. And my first question is, what does it mean to you to be a father, and what has surprised you the most about having your own family? Wow. Um, well, I think what has surprised me the most is whatever preconceived ideas I had about how I was going to parent. You know, you always think about, well, you know, if this happens, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Um, and how much all of that goes out of the window when you're being present to this little human being in front of you. Um, and I think, I think for me, one of the most, or the, the, the big quandary I have as a parent is always, you know, wanting my daughter to do what I want her to do, but also raising her so she has the the, uh, the space to have her own mind. So allowing for her to have her own mind means that she's not going to do what I want her to do the way I want her to do it. So there is a level of... Um, uh, She's at, at, at four years old, she's a great negotiator, <laughs> right? But when she says things that make sense, it's just like, like at some point I have to, you know, put away whatever ideas I have about what kind of parent I should be and actually, you know, respect and interact with this human being as a human being, if that makes sense. It does. And, and uh, four, ages four and five are particularly, uh, I'm particularly fond of because, They've kind of had their personality and their will, but they're still kind of sweet and haven't learned eye rolls yet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they they don't know disrespect yet. They don't know disrespect yet. That might be a better yeah. way of putting it. All right. So speaking of family, uh, I feel like this is uh, hopefully a good segue. You're on the show The Resident on Fox, and it's in its fourth season. Yes. Um, and I want to talk about it a little bit. So for people who've not seen The Resident, what's it about? Wow. Uh, the Resident is a, uh, a medical drama that um, uh, t- tackles head-on uh, hospital mishaps and uh, cover-ups. And that was a thing that really intrigued me about the show um, you know, at the very beginning. Because when I came on the show, I was, only, I was only coming in to do the last three episodes of season one. Um, and when I first started working on the show, the show 
you know, I think maybe had just begun to air. Um, so I was kind of watching the show, uh, you know, as it unfolded. And I really, uh, the thing that really attracted me to the show was the, uh, the courageousness to deal with, uh, you know, how hospital, uh, you know, medical field bureaucracies and how hospitals, you know, cover up their, uh, you know, their mishaps. So it was very bold. I say, and you play uh, the character's Dr. A.J. Austin. Um, he's a surgeon who, um, he's talented and he kind of knows he is. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I mean, he, his nickname is the Raptor. And yeah. it seems like it's a fun character to play, but what do you like about playing Dr. Austin? What appealed to you about the role initially? Uh, the fact that, you know, I love the fact that he was, you know, his skill set, he's one of the top cardiothoracic surgeons in the country. Uh, he's very brash. He's very arrogant. Uh, he's always going to tell you the truth, but he doesn't really care about how the truth lands on you. It's the truth and how you accept it is completely up to you. And he doesn't care what people think of him. Uh, he is very much the person I don't allow myself to be in real life. <laughs> you know, and it's tricky because as an artist, you know, um, we want to be at the place where we don't care what people think about us. But the success of our craft greatly depends upon what people think about us. You know, so it's a really, you know, there, there's a fine line there. There's a tricky dance. So I love being able to play a guy who really, uh, you know, he, he, he really honestly and truly does not care what people think about him. He's great. He knows he's great. Uh, and he's always going to tell you the truth. What else is there? No, it's it's refreshing when you see those characters, but you're also like, he's kind of a dick. <laughs> um, and, 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 and there are times where I wish I can allow myself to be more of a dick in real life. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. Um, okay, I have to ask this because it's uh, we, we're in, we're coming out of, well, we're in the pandemic still. Uh, the U.S. is starting to come out of it. But what is it like playing a TV doctor during an actual pandemic? Mm. It's great in that we get to um, we get to highlight and show you know real life heroes, real life essential workers um, in a great light. We I feel like we we have a wonderful opportunity and we are representing uh, you know people in the medical field uh, you know in a very positive and deserving light. I would say I just want to acknowledge the beard because I feel like uh, for the character that I mean you're mostly in, in scrubs, uh, kind of like doctor attire, but the beard just seems to do a lot of the character work for you, and I yes. I just wish I could have that beard. It is amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid to shave it off. <laughs> uh, I can see why. <laughs> um, now we're recording this ahead of the season four finale. Okay. Um, I'm sure you can't say too much, but is there anything we, we should expect or anything that uh, you're excited about people seeing? Oh, yeah. It's a... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very... Uh, it's an emotional episode. Um, but, you know, and this is really, uh, the, for me, the culmination of 
you know, as much as we talk about the Raptor being a dick and being brash and being arrogant, we get to see, you know, a very different, uh, very human side of him uh, that I think people are going to, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's refreshing. It's, it's, it's emotional. It's heartwarming, I guess. I guess it's, I guess it's heartwarming because you see he actually is human. Um, but yeah, it was a, it's, it's, it's a really good season finale. So you've been working on TV shows for decades and anyone who, who does uh, similar work like that for such a long time, um, I just wonder what, what draws you to the work on a TV show and then also what keeps you go, coming back to it? Mm. Um, I, mean, I, I love television. Like television is, theater is my favorite platform. Television is my favorite paycheck. <laughs> you know, it's, you get that stability, you get to, you know, it, it's, it's a constant income. Um, but there is a high that you get from theater and being on stage every night that you just don't get anywhere else. Um, and television, I mean, television has been, television has been very good to me. Um, I like, you know, I, I like to work and I like to, uh, you know, I'm always looking to, you know, get to the next level, you know, as an artist, you know, so I've been doing this for so long, but there's still so much more uh, room to go. You know, if you're always looking to be uh, challenged, stretched, um, and you know, and I, and I spent so much of my life trying to get uh, the sitcom energy, the Theo energy out of my work, uh, that I feel like doing The Resident, honestly feel like this show, with this show, I'm finally getting the handle on my craft that I've been chasing since Cosmo. We're going to talk about Cosby Show because um, I was a, an older brother and we watched it as a family and I loved and hated Theo Huxtable because uh, I related to him. But also my mom would be like, be more like Theo, help your brother out or help your, you know, I, it was constantly like uh, you were this um, you were this role model that was impossible to live up to. But obviously that role is not only iconic, you're in a rare group of people that that you will always be tied to that role um, and for better and worse. And I'm wondering now, um, decades later, how do you look at that relationship with the character that you played when you were mostly a teenager? Well, I've, I've always been very proud of being a part of that show. Um, I've always felt like, um, you know, Theo was very good to me. Um, but I also knew that there was going to have to be life after that show. So, you know, uh, so there's this thing where people think I get mad when people call me Theo. Um, but it's because I've always, even when I was on the show, I never answered to Theo because as far as I was concerned, I was Malcolm. Theo was just but one of the characters that I have played and, you know, only but one of the characters I will have played, you know, my entire life. Um, when we were, you know, at, during the height of Cosby, I'm, you know, 15, 16 years old, and I do interviews, and people will be like, what's it like 
being a success at such a young age. And my thing was, well, the show is successful. That doesn't mean that I'm successful. Um, so I've always had close ties to the show, but I also, or close ties to Theo, but I was also very clear in, um, you know, creating a, a, uh, a distinction between me and that role. Even back then when I was signing autographs, you're like, sign Theo. I would never sign Theo. Because I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be Theo uh, as far as I'm concerned forever. And I know in other people's minds, oh, you, no matter what you do, you'll always be Theo to me. And I know people think that's a compliment. (laughs) 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 But you're really like, that's great, but I'm also trying to be some other people as well. Well, and you're a human being and (laughs) you grew up and you're an adult. And it's just also incredible to me the just to think how much TV has changed from like, uh, was it three, maybe four networks uh, in the 80s to the way it is now with streaming and all that. And the fact that you're still you're still at it. uh, And I know you've directed as well. Um, When you think about um, those moments and you. Could you have imagined what you'd be doing now um, at this age in your life? Um, yes, yeah, specifically, I knew that I would still be working. Like my th- again, my thing was, it's a marathon; it's not a sprint. You know, my mother told me when the show first started to air, uh, you know, in '84, and you know, the numbers were through the roof. You know, and, and I try to explain to young people, like whatever, whatever the most popular show on television is right now, our numbers were way more than that, you know? Um, but my mother sat me down early on. It was first season and the show is this phenomenon. And I'm 14 years old. My mother says, baby, it's great that this show is this, you know, the phenomenon that it is, but uh, this show is not going to be around forever. She was like, I can type. I can always get a job. But what are you going to do when the show's over? So she had really, at 14 years old, really embedded in my mind uh, the concept of longevity. So as far as I was concerned, again, my, my sights were always like, yeah, 40, 50, 60 years old, you know, I I'm still want to be working. You know, I still want to be, uh, still want to be improving in my craft. Just want to ask one more question about the Cosby Show, and I know you've talked a little bit about it. And I think for a lot of us who grew up with the Cosby Show, um, trying to reconcile some of what uh, Bill Cosby's gone through in his personal life, um, his um, uh, being incarcerated. But what does the legacy of that show mean to you? Hmm. Um, well, of course, the legacy has been tarnished. I mean, they've taken the show off the air, and whenever we have you know, seen um, stereotypical images, stereotypical portrayals of, uh, you know, people of color, we've always had the Cosby show to hold juxtaposed to that. And now that the show is no longer airing, we no longer have that. Uh, Keisha Knight Pulliam was on some interview and they asked her the question and she responded, she said, the legacy of the show can never be tarnished. She said, there are, uh, there's generations of kids who have gone on to pursue higher education because of that show. She said, there are a generation of kids who have um, loving families 
because of that show. So like the the influence of that show can never be denied and can never be reversed and can never be taken away. Um, and I saw her do that interview. So whenever we talk about the legacy of the show, I always quote her because I think she was, you know, she was one thousand percent right. I mean, you 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 can't reverse the good that that show uh, has done. And at some point, uh, and, and I know for some people it's it's difficult to separate, uh, you know, the man from the character. Um, and I, I get it. I, I understand, pe- you know, some people's difficulty with it. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, the show, uh, the show itself, the show in its totality, uh, is different from uh, what's happening with Mr. Cosby now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to move on to something a little bit lighter, though. Um, uh, so the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. And I want to know, Malcolm, what's your current obsession? What are you currently obsessed with? Uh, I am currently obsessed with the trumpet. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a bass player. I've been playing bass for, you know, 20, 25 years now. And I love playing bass. I love being a bass player. I love everything with, about the bass. I love, um, you know, as with my acting, you know, constantly growing and, and, and developing and getting better, what have you. Um, about two months ago, my daughter wanted a trumpet. Like she watches uh, Daniel the Tiger. And I guess Daniel Tiger's father plays trumpet or something. So she was like, I want a trumpet. So okay, so I actually so I spend a hundred dollars to get her a real trumpet. Like why not? You know, so I get this trumpet. So in fourth grade, I played. I took up trumpet. I didn't last a week. So I'm, you know, she's excited about getting a trumpet, but low key, I'm a little more excited. Like you know, trumpet's gonna come. I'm gonna play her trumpet. Get it out of my system. Trumpet comes, and I'm like, Mackenzie, can I play a trumpet? She's like, No. What, what, what do you mean? I, can I play a trumpet? Not, not now, maybe later. And she wouldn't let me play a trumpet. And when she would, like, literally not for more than two minutes. Then that turned into, maybe you should get your own trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Papa, Papa, you should just buy your own trumpet. So, you know, a week later, I actually, I spent another $100 and bought my own trumpet. <laughs> and I have been obsessed with playing this trumpet because it's the, it, it, it's, one of the most, one of the more challenging instruments to learn. So as a bass player, I, it's easy for me to lean on my theory when I'm playing. As in trumpet, you can't lean on your theory. It's about ear. Like you've got to hear the note you're going for before you play it. Um, so I'm finding a, I'm finding new relationships with intervals, you know? Uh, and I, I'm complete, I'm, I'm obsessed. 
we just saw this weekend Elon Musk uh, host Saturday Night Live, and you actually hosted Saturday Night Live, and I think the musical guest was Run DMC. What was that like? It was so awesome, because they actually asked me uh, who I wanted as a musical guest. And I was like, Run DMC. And uh, one of the, I don't know, the, the highlight for me of that whole experience was we're in rehearsal, and um, my working on my opening monologue. And my opening monologue was this whole thing. It was the dance called The Wop. Um, that was, uh, and I was just kind of learning how to do it. And we kind of worked that into my opening monologue and like Dana Carvey comes out and he's trying to teach me The Wop, like this whole thing. Um, and Run DMC had come, they, they, they had come, they had gotten there for their rehearsal and they're watching us rehearse this monologue. And I have the live band playing uh, this song called My Melody by Eric B. and Rakim. Um, and this was my message. This was before, you know, Paid in Full was like their big hit. Uh, but My Melody was like, you know, uh, one of their first, one of their earlier hits. And Run sees me doing the WAP to the SNL band playing My Melody by Eric B. and Rakim. And he looks at, at DMC, he's like, D, D, you see that? You see that? And they both look at me and it's kind of giving me this head nod. And like, I'm 15, I'm either 15 or 16. <laughs> and like, I'm getting like this, I'm getting this, this acknowledgement and this respect from Run DMC. It was the highlight of that whole experience for me, man. Oh man, it sounds like it, sounds like it. And you also won a Grammy in 2015. It was for the song Jesus Children. It won Best Traditional R&B Performance. But it was basically kind of a, a cover of a Stevie Wonder song. And it was done as a tribute to the victims of the 2012 Sandy Hook tragedy. Uh, what was recording that song like? And then when you won a Grammy, what was that like? Yeah, well, what's interesting was I had come... Um, I was in the studio hanging out with Robert uh, when he was doing that song. And Layla was, you know, Layla did the whole song in one take. And, you know, Robert's, you know, he's playing me the tune, he's playing me this musical interlude, and he's telling me about his buddy whose daughter uh, was one of the kids killed at Sandy Hook Elementary. And he was like, yeah, so, you know, my, so my, uh, my partner's going to do this, uh, you know, do the, do the spoken word piece right here. And, yeah, and I was like, that's going so two weeks later Robert comes back to town I'm in the studio he's mixing the record and he tells me how at the you know in the 11th hour his buddy couldn't do the poem because it was just too close to home and he said listen do you do you have a poem about Sandy Hook and I said no but if you give me the track I'll go upstairs and write one so he gave me his iPod shuffle and I went upstairs and literally like in the hour or so, he comes back upstairs and I spit the poem to him. He's like, that's it. Uh, so the fact that it came out so organically um, and then when we got the nomination, we're like, we're going to win a Grammy. <laughs> I think we're going to win a Grammy. Uh, and it, was, it was just a, such a wonderful experience to get to Grammy, you know, to it, to it being a tribute to Sandy Hook. So that whole experience is a, a highlight of my life, but very endearing, um, you know, as a humanitarian and as an artist. Like, it's the reminder of, 
you know, yeah, you put in the work uh, so you're always ready and never have to get ready. I wanted to talk a little bit more about your spoken word, but I, what we'll do is we have a thing called pick one. And I think there's a way I can uh, hit on some of these within pick one. And what pick one is I give you a couple of choices and you pick one of them okay. and I encourage you to talk it out. Okay. How's that sound? Cool. Okay. So the first one is actor, director, poet, or musician. Pick one. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> oh. I will, I will have, I will, I will have to pick, if I have to pick one, I would, I will pick poet. Um, and I say that because you will never hear me talk about, you know, I'm a great actor. You'll never hear me talk about I'm a dope musician. Um, and even though I may never say the words, I'm a dope poet, um, that is the, that's the one area where I feel so confident about what I do that I can be on the stage with my favorite poet and know that I can hold my own and not be shook. Um, and I've, and I've shared the stage with, you know, a favorite poet or, or, or two, um, and just, you know, and, and I've always felt like I belong there as an actor. I feel like I belong there, but as a poet, if you tell me I suck, that this, that's water off a duck's back. It means nothing to me at all. Like, Oh, okay. Well, that's your that's how you that's your opinion. Cool. If you told me as an actor I suck, I may I may bowl over in the fetal position <laughs> with my thumb in my mouth. <laughs> Not with that beard. Not with that beard. Hey, they never suck with that beard. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, then uh, I have two more. The next one is um, pick one. Uh, your your album that you released in 2015, Selfless. Or your one-man theater show. I don't know the name of this because I couldn't find it, but you performed a one-man uh, show. Um, oh no, it's called Love and Other Social Issues. So pick one: selfless or love and other social issues. Oh, how cool! <laughs> um, I'll go with love and other social issues um, because I mean that's a one-man show. That's you know, and you know, as, as I said, theater is my that's my favorite platform. So uh, you know, I absolutely love theater. So to, so to be able to do theater. Um, you know, on, on a piece of my own, uh, you know, and, 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 and my poetry um, and my music. Yeah, that's a, that's a hell of an experience. I, and, I bet. And not too many people can say they've yeah. done their own one man show. And I can't, not you know, I can't go back and watch my one man show, but I can play <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. All right, here's the last one. This should be a pretty fast one. Directing the music video for new editions, any heartbreak, or directing an episode of Malcolm and Eddie. Pick one. Any heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that kind of surprised me. How come? Um, because one, I grew up with new edition, um, and, and, and they called me to direct that video. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of their, you know, most favorite videos, uh, my fans, and and Malcolm and Eddie, the whole Malcolm and Eddie experience was weighed down by so much other controversy, stress, 
you know, um, negativity, uh, that, yeah, any heartbreak, that still makes me smile. I have probably 20 other questions, but just thank you for taking time to talk with me today, Malcolm. It means so much. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate it. You bet. I want to thank Malcolm for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch the first three seasons of The Resident on Hulu and the fourth season on Fox. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.